everybody. How you doing? Doing good? Good. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, well, it's nice to see you all. If you get in here and quit wasting time, what you doing? Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, how's everybody doing, all right? Good, good to see you all. If you want to stand up, we'll pray, and we'll sing a song to God. God, we love you. We're here for you this morning. May everything that happens in this place be for you, your kingdom, and your glory. Your glory alone, God. We sing out of praise and love for you. We hear your word uh, to grow. We just pray that we take a step closer to you today with everything that we sing, everything we hear. Um, and we pray for Leonard uh, as he preaches and brings the word. Pray for ourselves, God, that we have open hearts and ears um, to hear what you're saying today. Pray for Matt and the youth, all the volunteers, and just everything this morning, God. May it be all to your glory. We love you. Praise you.
can all have a seat. Got a couple announcements this morning. Um, want to thank Rachel and, and her team for a wonderful and enjoyable evening last week at the pool party. It was really fun. Even did some jumps off the diving board and uh, made some huge splashes. So, um, uh, First off is the mission committee meeting today after church. If you're interested, um, all are welcome. They're meeting in the parlor right behind the worship center here. Um, next is there's going to be a volunteer meeting tonight at 630 for all current and interested hospitality volunteers. If you're interested, 630 here at the church down in the fellowship hall. Um, next would be the choir would like to invite everyone in a party to honor Jackie and Attila Samu on Saturday, next Saturday at 4 p.m. in the fellowship hall. If you would like to attend, are attending, please RSVP on the sheet in the back so they can make sure they have enough food and, and fun for y'all. 
Um, next is FCC Kids and Student Ministries is holding a back-to-school bash next Sunday, the 22nd, from 4 to 7. Um, we're going to have lots of fun, lots of games, inflatables. That, that's suitable for all ages, not just the kids. Ho hopefully we'll see Leonard on the obstacle course or something like that. Um, but we also will be having a pie-eating contest and uh, raffle baskets. Brightside Project is going to be here um, letting you know what they're doing. And any donations, money that we raise will also go to the Brightside Project. So if you're interested in helping, volunteering, donations, there's a sign-up sheet on, in the back of the Welcome Center as well. So you're not going to want to miss this. Invite all your friends, family, nephews, nieces, cousins, whoever. It'll be fun. Um, next is a corn roast. I think of a corn roast. I also think of Forrest Gump and like shrimp gumbo, shrimp stews, all this. So let, let's see how many different kinds of corn things we can come up with. Brittany will uh, put something on social media tomorrow for all the corn ideas. So make sure you check that out so you can uh, start coming up with some good ideas. But that is Saturday the 28th from 5 to 8. Come and enjoy food, live music. Um, Bluegrass band will be there. Um, so good time. Um, and we are asking that anybody who can bring a dessert to share with everybody. That's all I have. So the kids are dismissed to their, their thing. <clears throat> well, I don't know about you, but isn't it great to see the body kind of come back to life again? The, the hands and feet and, and, the, and the arms and everything just beginning to move. Uh, for a while there, I just thought, you know, we were in like uh, suspended animation. And now things are starting to happen. And I really am grateful that the kingdom work is beginning to reemerge again. And as that happens, of course, it brings with it a whole host of, uh, of the good, the bad, and the difficult. Um, and right now, uh, not only are these things kind of happening, but I know that there have also been some transitions that are happening in the lives of uh, some of our people, especially when uh, it comes to the Lord calling them home. I was grateful that last Friday we could gather with uh, Donna Snyder's family and have just a memorial service with COVID. When she passed away, they really couldn't do anything. And I just want to add sidebar that if... If you or anybody you know who has had somebody pass away, I strongly encourage you to have some kind of service or gathering or memorial for closure. It is, it is more important for your health and your grief than I can, I can even begin to say. Um, and if you need help with that, please come and see me, and I'm, I'm happy to sort of give you some guidance on that. I also want to pray uh, for my friend Ashley Johnson, whose cousin passed away, uh, and just your family, and uh, your mother passed away, Susie's uh, mom passed away at 97, 98, wow, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cool, she was a, a strong believer, and you guys had a chance to gather and, and say her farewells, and um, that's kind of the way it should happen. So um, we want to keep all you guys lifted up who are connected and going through that process yourselves. I want to uh, welcome our people that are gathering online, and hopefully this can be a blessing for you as well. Uh, we want to take just a minute and go through any prayer concerns that might be brought into this room so we can, we can lift up one another. 
uh, in, our, in our prayer time. Uh, so I'll repeat whatever you guys say so that people online can also be praying. I encourage you to do that because uh, great things happen when we bring this stuff before the Lord and ask him to help. So anything on your heart or mind today that you have that you want to you share? Nothing. Wow. Just calm, still waters. Okay. Yeah, safe travels for uh, uh, Tom. This is Susie's uh, brother here. Uh, came to check up on Susie uh, along with his lovely bride. Um, and and um, so, you know, it's a lot of work. Right, Kevin? Keep up with your mom? Yeah. Okay. All right. Travel mercies for you guys. Anything else? Rachel? Yeah. Yeah, please keep Gail, Gail Hill in your prayers. Uh, she did start chemo this week, and um, it's, it, it's great to see her draw close to the Lord in this and be surrounded by people that are helping her along. But I know there's a lot of uncertainty in her heart right now, and she needs us to be uh, her church. Patty? Uh, I'd like prayers for Mrs. Katero. Mrs. Katero? She is in the hospital. Okay. And uh, she, uh, she just wants to be married. Okay. And, uh, okay, so she's at the Salem Hospital, and she's at a place in life where she's just ready to go home. Okay. Joe Carroll, you, you had your hand up. Okay. We'll just pray that you can, um, you can have God's peace and clarity. Okay? Diane? Oh, my. Okay. Oh my. Oh wow. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What's your son-in-law's uh, name, Diane? Doug Graham. Okay, pray for Doug Graham, who was um, as a postal worker hit and um, has some damaged. Uh, Vertebrain is back. Uh, so please. And my mic. Doing what it only does for me and nobody else. Kathy. Oh, my. I'm very sorry to hear that. Okay. Yeah, okay. So Kathy mentioned her sister's minister um, got COVID, and now his lungs aren't working properly, and he's having to be supported by a machine, which is just very, very frightening for him. Okay. Teresa? Uh Okay, Teresa Brown's husband who has a mass on his kidney, so hopefully that's something they can resolve.
All right. Uh, yeah, in the back. Pat? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I can't remember what his first name is. Rick. Okay. So your son-in-law, Rick, has COVID. Okay. All right. So you guys did kind of perk up a little bit, which is good. Uh, we, we do want to continue to pray for all of these things and anything else you may have. Please let us know. Uh, so let's just take this, this moment and... Um, and bring the Lord into this conversation. Would you bow with me? Our Father, it is so good to be with your people, to see your spirit come alive within your body, to have events and outreach activities coupled with people ministering to each other and volunteering and being a part of the active life of being servants and ministers of grace and mercy to each other. Thank you, Father, for groups that are able to gather and attend to your word. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. You are moving us closer and closer in that transformation process of becoming more like your son. Thank you for being with uh, our, our, our church family as different members have gone through uh, a, a season of grief or are going through it right now. And I just pray for your help to be with those where that's particularly acute. I pray, Father, that you would be with the needs that we have mentioned. Mrs. Cotero, as she's anticipating being called home. We pray for Pastor Marvin, that you would bring a miracle to bear upon his lungs and he could regain that capacity to, uh, to, to breathe. Uh, we pray for Ed Grimm. We just pray, Father, that you would bring health and healing to his back as he recovers from a very tragic circumstance. We pray for Joe Carroll that you just help her to have clarity of mind and peace of mind. We ask, Father, that as uh, Teresa bears this burden of concern for her husband, that you would bring healing to him regarding this mass, that it could be removed and his health could be recovered. We pray, Father, that as we lift up um, Gail Hill, we pray that Gail would know the strengthening of your spirit as she goes through this time of of, of chemo and uncertainty. I just thank you for a group of people that surround her in a way that helps her to find confidence in, 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 in your presence in every part of this experience, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would be with us as a church as we uh, are in, in coming out of a season that is so unusual to our experience and yet there are still those lingering effects of COVID and so we we pray for for uh, uh, Rick and for the struggle that he's going through right now and 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 I have family members back home that are going through that same struggle as well and I just pray that you would bless them and heal them I just ask father that as we bring uh, all of these needs that are burdens being carried into this room that you would come alongside each family and just lead them through this and by your mighty hand bring healing and sustaining power and just help people to thrive once again we pray father that as a church that we could really be in tune with what your spirit is calling us to do as we attend to your word and we see your purpose unfold in what the gospels have to report and how that carries over 21 centuries later into this moment. Help us to be true to that same path that Jesus 
uh, led the disciples down and all of that followed in, in their wake, us included. Help us to see that. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here who does not know you, that they could come to a saving knowledge of who you are in a very personal way and discover that as a result of that, their lives can be changed and they can, they can discover how beloved they are of you and how, how, um, how, how you bring that sense of worth and dignity back to our lives once again because of the redeeming power of your son. Lord, if there are things that we need to deal with in our own heart, help us to bring those to the surface as painful as they are so that we can name them and call them out and bring them into order so that everything that is in our hearts and our minds personally and who we are collectively would be aligned with the heart and mind of your son. And may we do that now, Father, as we just attune to the Lord's prayer, that it would be something not just said in rote or in, in, in just merely ritual, but rather a ritual that is infused with rich meaning that defines us. So please uh, pray with me with, uh, with the intentionality that the disciples captured when Jesus taught them uh, to begin with. Would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, um, as we uh, continue on in this uh, journey that we began a long time ago in the book of Luke, uh, I, I'm pretty excited for the, the moment that we're in right now, and that is how Jesus is beginning in earnest to engage the disciples in the process of making the kingdom known. But there's some problems that happen right out of the gate that we're going to be exploring here, and there are problems maybe that carry in even into our moment. That said, um, I, I want you to join me on this journey to Jerusalem because it starts in chapter 9, verse 51, and, and it ends um, uh, around Luke 21 and 22, where they arrive at Jerusalem. Going on this journey, uh, starting in Galilee, where Jesus was spending so much time ministering to people, now it's just on a map, if I can just show you a map for a second. Um, on a map, if you start at the top where Jesus is at and you see the Sea of Galilee there, uh, we begin this little trek through a place called Samaria and then on down to the central, the central place for worship, Jerusalem. So that's sort of the lay of the land and, and the challenge in front of us uh, that we have to attend to. And hopefully as we do um, and, we, and, we, and, we, and, and we follow Jesus along the way, we can be changed in the process. So if you have your Bibles with you, could you turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 48, actually. I want to pick it up. Um, well, actually, I'm going to pick it up in, in 46, because we read part of this last week, but it's all got to be sort of included in this. So there's a little bit of content here, but I'm hopeful that, that you can stick with me. Here we go. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest 
And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, that is the Father. For it is, it is uh, the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Because the big question on the table was, who's the greatest? And uh, every I think has that question sometimes, like who, which sibling thinks they're the best? And I remember this one uh, person telling me one time, uh, I, my, uh, my, my, um, my, my grandmother took me aside one time and she told me I was the greatest of all of them. And uh, that happened to slip out in a conversation with the siblings one time and they said, that's odd because she said that to us too. So isn't that kind of funny? Uh, whoever's the greatest thinks they're the greatest. Sometimes uh, we're all great in the eyes of people that love us. And, um, and I, you know, I especially think about grandmothers and their children, uh, their grandchildren, rather, and grandfathers in that same way. And I just am so jealous. I can't wait for that moment. And I see people like, like Denny gloat over the fact that he can go see his grandkid and just spoil the you know, children to death, and then turn them back over to their parents and say, have fun, they're tired, and they need your care right now, because I think our, my mission here is over. Well, God looks at us, and he has this view that's different than the view that we have of each other, and Jesus is beginning to nip some of the stuff in the bud, and this is the first one. So the second one is... Um, uh, goes like this. Master said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. And Jesus looked at him and said, don't stop him. And they're like, what? He's not one of us. And he's like, no, whoever's not against you is for you. And this person that you're talking about understands who I am, and in my name, they're doing the things that I'm calling you to do. Don't stop them. They may not be from your tribe or your background or your clan or your group, but they're with me. And so he's trying to get them sorted out on who's in and who's out and who's in a good place in their heart and who's not in a good place in their heart and what their idea of who's in and who's out is and what their idea of who's got the right attitude or who's worthy, different than Jesus's. And these differences sometimes carry over into the life we have together as believers. And Jesus recognizes that when people socially get together, it seems like there's always a pecking order that gets established, like who's in charge? I mean... And we're kind of like, um, dare I say, when we went on vacation, we took our dog down to our nieces and basically introduced him into the population of her dogs, thinking that they'll all get along just fine. Well, there's one big dog, Missy, and she's sort of like the referee. There are two little dogs, Nigel and Buddy, and they're about the same size same attitude. Every day we kept getting phone calls. Nigel and Buddy aren't getting along. 
And finally, I told my wife, I said, do we need to just drive back from South Dakota and pick these guys up, pick up our dog? And she said, no, let them sort it out. But the half the time, they're trying to figure out who's the boss, who's in charge here. And isn't that our nature to say who's in charge or to default to the person who is in charge? And Jesus sees that coming, and he helps them to kind of process this by, a stern, by having a stern rebuke. And he's offering actually three of these, which we're going to explore, but let me move on. So as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, um, uh, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So that was our map. He's saying, now, it's time for this long journey to Jerusalem. And Luke is very intentional about spending almost 10 chapters, or more than 10 chapters, saying this is what happened when Jesus was on the road to his death. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you knew what you were going to have to face. I think kids learn that. And I've shared with you some of my misbehavior as a kid, getting called to the principal's office, or having a friend who I did a misdeed with getting called to the principal's office, quickly doing the math and realizing I'm next. And at the age of fourth grade, when you're called to the principal's office, and it's not principal, but princess what, then um, you know you would rather just die than do that. You'd rather be anywhere but do that. You want to just go back to your bed and cover up your head and just say, I'm going to wake up and it'll be gone. Well, that is perhaps a childhood introduction to the realities that we have to face sometimes that are awkward, that are difficult, that we do not want to have particular conversations. If you can just take that moment or those moments that you've had of apprehension and then compound it with the fact that you're now saddled with the responsibility of redeeming all humanity for all time that will put your tr their trust in you, and all the forces of hell are going to begin to descend upon every step of everything you do and try to counter it, that is exactly where Jesus was at. And in this story, we were up on the mountain, and there was this glorious transfiguration, and God said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And it was a way of saying, we want to validate this whole process by acknowledging that you are the son of God, but you are called to do the work of a man with men. And Get your arms, uh, your sleeves rolled up and, and get, get really down in the weeds with people and experience what they experience and know their pain and be able to identify with them. So much so that after it is all done, they'll discover that everything that they need for life because of the faithfulness of Jesus in his calling to die for us to be in the grave for three days, and then to come out of that gloriously and alive 
fully redeemed in that sense as the Redeemer to redeem us. Words cannot carry the freight of what that actually means. And Jesus understands the gravity of the moment. And he's looking at these guys, and they're bickering over, I want to be the greatest. No, I want to be the greatest. And he's just thinking, holy cow. I don't know if he said that, but I'd probably say that. He's thinking, they just have a long way to go in understanding what this is all about. And then when it comes to him resolutely setting out for Jerusalem, he sees the consequence and the significance of all of this. So I just want you to capture for a second where he's at as he begins this journey. And the reason why it is so important is he is calling you and I to be his disciples, to, to follow him on that journey. And he even goes so far as to say, if anyone will follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross in order to do so. Sometimes I wonder if it's all worth it. But as I've done that journey for 35 years, I wonder less and less. Because I know it is worth it. And there's a lot that I'm afraid of out of the gate that I'm, at this point on the timeline, recognizing its value. So here these guys are. They got off edges. His dream team to get this thing going after he's gone through the, through the end of, after the end of the journey. And so here's what he did. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And I love the response of the disciples. Not really. When the disciples, James and John, and this is sort of like the inner circle, James, John, and Peter. I mean, you've got the 12, and then you've got the three. When they saw this, they asked, Lord, do, would you like for us to call fire down from heaven and just destroy them? Bible scholars have said, this is the most violent recorded intention of the church in the, in, in, in the Gospels. There's never been a more violent reaction to other people. Now, here's the question. Is Jesus going to sustain this? Is he going to say, you know what, that's a pretty good idea. Because you remember when you had the little child and I said, you know, whoever welcomes him welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the father. Well, they didn't welcome you, so they didn't welcome me, so they're not welcoming the father, so we should destroy them, right? And Jesus is looking at him. And he's recognizing that they don't understand that the rules of the kingdom 
are not about the pegging order, who's first and who's last and who's jockeying for position and who can be at the top tier. It's not about that because all of us, for whatever reason, are equal at the foot of the cross because we're made in God's image and likeness. We just have different responsibilities in that role. And when Jesus looks at the disciples and he sees the antagonism inside of them that's almost over the top, we went and told them about you. They didn't like what we heard. Burn it to the ground. I mean, it'd be like us going to our neighbors over here and saying, can I tell you about Jesus? And they're like, no. Slam the door. And you're like, okay, guys, light them up. I mean, honestly, that is essentially what they're saying. It sounds pretty absurd, but that is something going on in their heart. I would say it runs a little bit deeper than just oh, they rejected us, and so we want to burn them to the ground. I would say there's some issues. There's, there's a thing going on here inside their hearts that is a deep antagonism towards people that are different from them, and to some degree for good reason in their, in their, in their logic. And what is that reason? Well, going back to the map for a second, if we could, Connor, um, you have this little place called Samaria, and it is not like the others. It's in red because all this white stuff that's around, that's sort of like God's people. These are the ones who have been faithful. They worship in Jerusalem. But then there's that place called Samaria. And not very long ago, in the memory of God's people, there were children of Abraham who settled in that area, but they had a different idea about, the, about, about their commitment to the things of God. And they said, you know what? We don't really care about the things of God as much as we care about intermarrying with the Assyrians who are here. And as they did, they embraced a lot of their own ideas from other religions, and they actually set up their own temple, and they said, in reality, we're the chosen people. We have a temple in Samaria, and when the Messiah comes, we're going to worship in that temple. And as they had this narrative thought out, they actually had their own version of the Bible. It was the first five books of the Bible called, not the Pentateuch, which is what we would call it if you are kind of been here long enough and you've heard that kind of language. They would call it the Samaritan Pentateuch, which meant that all of the things that we read about in the Old Testament were edited in such a way that they pointed to the Samaritans and said, we're the ones. And all the people around them knew these shenanigans and knew the manipulation of their, their version of the Bible and knew the nonsense of establishing the temple in, of all places. And they're saying, we hate these guys. They're wrecking our story. They're wrecking our identity. They're wrecking the way of life and the path to God. Wouldn't it be great if we just get a bulldozer and just push them into the Mediterranean Sea? Now, I can kind of relate to that coming from Illinois and being harassed by people in Chicago who keep mailing us downstaters tickets because we parked in a wrong place up there when we weren't even up there. And this is when all these shenanigans went on and on where everybody would say if Caterpillar, which is a big company in Illinois, could just build a bulldozer big enough and just set it on the edge of Chicago, we could just push it into the lake and then... Illinois would be not a place where governors make license plates, but it would be land. It would be the promised land where the breadbasket of the world would emerge. So you get the passion that is in play here. You're probably thinking right now, Leonard, you got issues with Illinois, don't you? 
I, I think I have a counselor you probably should go talk to. And these guys, they had issues. At the first just trigger, kill them. And Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, little do they know, before this is all said and done, you're going to be calling those people brothers and sisters. Isn't that crazy? Because up to now, I can assure you, in all the literature, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, everything that was written in the 400 years during the time prior to Jesus, not one time was it ever said that anybody outside of Israel could be called a brother. They could be called a proselyte if they wanted to kind of join in, but never a brother. Interestingly enough, Luke writes in Acts chapter 15, I don't have it up there, but I'll just say it. In Acts chapter 15, he writes, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers from the nations in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. And when he sends them out on the Great Commission, he says, I want you to go into Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then all the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus has this vision that he's not here to destroy everybody that doesn't say the right thing about God. He's there to show them who God is in the form of Jesus and set them free from those dark impulses that keep them captive the murderous antagonisms because those people aren't like us. You know, they have different labels of who's who and who's against who. The jockeying for position, we park our boat in the dock that has the, the millionaires, not the dock that has the, you know, the industrial workers putting their boats out to fish. And everything in between. You see, we like pecking orders. The Roman Empire was premised on got the Caesars, got the equestrian, or got the senators, got the equestrian, got the gentry, got the, the small businessmen, got peasants, slaves, slaves of slaves, children. That's the order of the world as it should be. And God said, no. I am doing a major reordering of creation because it has been so disordered for so long that all people can think about is I'm only valuable if I'm great. And if I'm not, well, people will think I'm a loser. I've actually known people who would not engage in a sporting event if they knew they couldn't win it. And I've known people that engage in sporting events and like myself and oftentimes got beat at basketball, football, baseball. I've won at checkers. It should count, right? But that's the world that Jesus sees. It's the world that the disciples know 
And Jesus says, I want your identity to not be based on how you compare to other people. I want your identity to be based on the relationship that God has with you as a son or a daughter of God, and I want you to behave accordingly. I want you to know that God sees you as someone and something great. So much so he made you in his image. And I don't want you, when you disagree with somebody, to call down the fires of Armageddon on them because they don't see things your way. I want you, them, I want you to be unified. And so he's calling them out, right out of the gate. He has to. Because if this thing does not start on the right foundation, the problem will become it'll end up in some other direction. Where when we gather for church, who's the greatest person in church? Well, next to Jesus, who's the greatest person in church? And who's a person that perhaps is of such a state that they're not important? Can you imagine that happening in the church? Well, Jesus certainly can't. And that's why we have to stick to these stories because they help us to get our sense of who we are and who, whose we are. As Luke is sharing this, Jesus said, I have to rebuke you. In verse 56, it says, Then he said to his, his, he and his disciples went to another village, and they were walking along the road. A man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And you're going to follow me? And he said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I just want to add real quickly, and I, I don't have time to go into it. When a guy says, I need to go back and bury my father, what he's really saying is, my dad's not dead yet, probably won't be for another 10 years. But whenever that happens, then I'll, I'll do it. And let me go back to my family. There's a whole other dynamic there that's going to involve a huge amount of time. Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm asking you. And he's not asking us to be heartless and soulless towards our family members. But he is asking us to prioritize everything so that in anything we put him first. And that's what he's hoping the disciples will begin to understand. That you cannot do the way of life in Christ without every step of the way, including him. Talk to him in a very personal way. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm in a season where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a little, little over-functioning with funerals of all things. And it can be very emotionally taxing and what I've discovered is when I have that responsibility, I talk to the Lord a lot. 
Help me here with this conversation with this person. Help me here to say what I need to say. Help me here to have a follow-up conversation with family members. Help me here to see what needs to happen. And it's funny how when you ask the Lord to help you along the way, he does so that you're not doing anything in your own strength, but everything in his. Remember the disciples couldn't perform miracles? They couldn't cast out demons? And Jesus said, come on. You guys are trying to do it in your own strength. You have to include me in the ministry process or it does not work. Okay, so I've really poured a lot on you guys here. So let me just go to, um, re- go, go to where we're at in this. Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Well, what do we make of all of this? Because Jesus is doing a lot, and they're going to think back, why was Jesus so mean to us at the beginning? Why was he so hard on us out of the gate? And I think them, and he loved the people that they would be ministering to so much that he took the long view and said, I want them to get along not in a spirit of rivalry and competition and one-upmanship and jealousy and gossip and murder and rage. I want these people to discover that if I'm at the center of it, the quality of their relationships will be characterized through the peace, patience, patience, told you my son prayed for patience last week, and I told him rookie mistake, right? Okay. <laughs> Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wouldn't that be great? We all did that all the time. Is that possible? I believe it is. Well, let's just, here's the, t- I got to wind it down. And we're going to do it this way. First of all, there's the, the, the us versus thems that Jesus has to call out. You ever known people that did us versus thems? You ever been a part of that? Well, which of them would be the greatest? Jesus says, don't be so selfish. Make it more about us than you. We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. You'd be surprised how many people embrace my name who are not like you. Want to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Well, we've already talked about that. And the takeaway is prioritizing. Can you guys hear me okay? Am I doing this right? Prioritizing Jesus in everything is the only way to move forward in anything. Anything you do as a follower of Jesus, he's got to be put first. This isn't like I'm going to add some Christianity to my life. No, it, I, I can assure you, I've tried that. I tried that for a long time. It does not work. You have to put Jesus first in a spirit of render every day. 
call us out on things that we don't want to be called out on, and that's uncomfortable. Yet when he does, he has a better idea of what could replace that thing that he's calling you out on. You know, that thing underneath the thing. Like, why did you get so upset? You really went off on that person. Do you think your response was warranted based on the smallness of the offense? And it might have been you were triggered because it was just a reenactment of something that you had gone through before in similar circumstances. Well, when Jesus does a good work in us, he's trying to transform us. He's trying to change us to be less like us without him and more like him as we're with him. I don't know if that translated or not, but if you've ever lived a life that said, I just want to do it my way, maybe you're here in this room because you've tried that for too long and it broke you and all the good relationships around you. Jesus has to start by transforming our lives. And with transformation, it comes from excavation. He kind of looks at the thing underneath the thing and he says, I'm relaying a foundation. You have an anger problem. You have a triggering problem. You have a self-esteem or self-worth problem. You have a problem working with other people. None of that's going to work here. So we got to dig in. And when Jesus does that, he begins to kind of change the thing beneath the thing. And this I'd love to just do a sermon on, but I'll just quickly say this. Every one of us in the room gets triggered by something. We escalate into a state of anger, fight or flight, defensiveness. And Jesus says, we got to deal with that. Sometimes when things don't go our way, we look for things to escape into. And they could be pretty benign things. So these are our hideouts. And it could be like, instead of asking the Spirit of God to help me with this, I'm going to focus on food or clothing or experiences or wine or sex or influence or achievement or money or approval, anything that can just take my mind off of the thing that God's been dealing with me with. Every time I turn around, it's in my face. And Jesus is saying, the reason why I keep bringing that up is because that's what we're working on right now. And chances are, you'll have people come into your life and they'll say something that triggers you or you want to escape from. Jesus said, we got to deal with it. You got to learn to do the right thing here. Otherwise, the church can't be the church. Insecurities, these are the false stories we create about ourselves. I'm worthless, I'm no good, because my parents told me the whole time I was garbage. How can God? Or we say, I'm the greatest person on the planet. 
And Jesus, we got to calibrate that to about the place where you view yourself as a redeemed human being who's saved by grace and restored into a hope and a joy. That's about where we need to put you, and you're not there yet. Then there are narratives, the false stories we create about others. We don't like somebody, we give them a label, put them in their place, or worse, we gossip about them to try to diminish them. Jesus says, that does not work in my group. That's not acceptable. And then finally, grace is the only way this works. It's not like some psychologist saying, you gotta tweak this and adjust that, no. It is God coming in and saying, I got to remake you. And part of repentance is saying, this stuff, these things beneath the thing, I'm putting before the Lord, or I'm not putting in their proper place, and they're ruining my life. And repentance is about saying, I'm going to name this so that I can deal with it on a bloodstained cross and be forgiven of it and move into a transformed life. So all this stuff that Jesus sees in his disciples, you know, the things beneath the thing, he's calling out. And if he's calling them out, he will call you and I out. And we have two options. Well, we've got more, but two options. One is we can say, I'd rather not think about that right now, which we're good at. Or the other one is, I've heard it so much, and I know it's a thing, and I know I need to deal with it. Lord, help me to deal with it. Not, Lord, I'll fix this, and then I'll come to church. No, you have to say, Lord, help me to deal with it. Or it's not going to happen. And I, I, I like the way of Jesus. Because grace is so misunderstood, and there's a lot to be said, but it is always open to effort, but is never open to earning. We never earn our way to heaven. We're never good enough. So many people on their deathbed say, I hope I'm good enough, and I tell them, you are not good enough, but Jesus is. And I hope that the life you live, you engaged in effort to have a relationship with him, and that every turn, in effort, invited him into everything you did. And if you did, you're very blessed as a human being. If not, you're probably going to escape into heaven as one goes through the flames. And I don't want to see anybody have that. I would love for everybody to say, man, I did experience the blessing, the joy, in the midst of the trial of seeing Jesus come alive in my life through this. And affect others. Jesus has this vision for his disciples, and believe it or not, they get it. It takes time, but if you read their writings at the later end of their lives, you can see that all these dots that are not connected here get connected along the way. And right now, God is saying, we have some dots in your life that we're working on. And I don't know what those are. And maybe you don't either. And the recommendation I would have is to say, Lord, 
show me what that thing is you're doing in my life. And even before we gathered, I prayed that if your thing is, I need to know him as my savior. And I hope you do, and I hope you discover how beloved you can become in him, how your life will be redirected in a way that you never saw coming, how all those voids can find their filling and satisfaction in him, how a conscience that needs cleansed can find forgiveness. And then there are the rest of us who've been a part of this for a while. We have rough edges. We have things beneath the thing that get in the way. And we have to deal with it. Well, Jesus is simply saying, you have to prioritize me in everything. And in anything, include me. That's what following me is all about. And I just hope that whatever your priorities are, somewhere near the top, if he's not at the top, he's getting close. And maybe you're in that space where you're like, I have to dethrone that thing so he can be the main thing. Would you bow with me? Our Father, we are so grateful that we see the disciples in all of their humanity and the messiness of everything that is in their heart that is not right coming to the surface. It has to be humiliating for them to know that that's in the record for literally thousands of years. And yet, they take no shame in it because they've looked at you as the author and perfecter of their faith. And I, I pray for all of our brothers and sisters here who are serious about that journey who recognize how much having you at the center changes everything. I pray for that for our church as a body that we would be the kind of people that you've envisioned for your disciples who become apostles to be. I pray, Lord, if you've spoken to anyone in this room in any way, you've nudged them You've perhaps impressed upon them a conviction that you would just help them to even write it down if they need to and say, yeah, this is the thing beneath the thing that Jesus has been working on in my life. And I'm trying to get clarity. Whatever that is, Father, just help your people to be transformed and help those who are lost to discover life in your son. Give us the honesty to deal with that as we conclude this part of our journey today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. specific thought that I want to share with you, and that is the fact that Jesus, our God, is in everything, everything that happens throughout the day, throughout the night, throughout the week, the month, the year, has his face, 
problem that exists for us is we don't see it. We're not looking for it. We see the obvious that bites, but we don't see behind it. When we deal with sickness, when we deal with injury, when we deal with turmoils, loss of a job, fire, car accident, and even death, do we see that Jesus is there? He's standing there. He's supporting. He's holding. He's uplifting. And he's providing opportunity. Jesus never shuts a door that another is not open. I thought of a movie this morning that's very special to me. Um, and many of you are going to laugh, but that's okay. I've been laughed at many times. George C. Scott did a movie called Scrooge. And if you know anything about that movie, I want to look to one particular part. And that is when the ghost of the present comes and is talking with Scrooge about life and how things are. And they're in the uh, underground where the people are fires, potatoes, and all those kind of things going on. And as the ghost appears to Scrooge, he uncovers two children. And in those two children, Scrooge is moved. He is dramatically affected by their condition, by their health, by their lack of the necessities of life. And the ghost ends up telling Scrooge, to be conscious of the fact that in his wealth, in his power, in his big house, and all the things that he has, he may be of less importance in the things of the world than these two children. And that's the message that I think we need today, is that, you know what, in Christianity and in Christ, there are no lines. There is one line. And it goes this way, folks. And I stand next to you. And you stand next to you. And you stand next to him. That's the way life is organized. We are all equal. You're no better than me. And I'm no better than you. Jesus provides us the opportunity to come together, to come on our knees, to repent, to ask for forgiveness. Communion is the time that we take that opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together, to sit together in this house, a house that you have built for us to worship you. We thank you, Father, for the message and for the meaning that it applies and gives to our lives, the hope that is presented as we look to you. As we partake of these emblems this morning, may they renew our spirit, may they fill our soul, and continue to brighten the light within us as we serve for you. We ask and we pray these things your name.
as we talk about today, I think it's one of the, probably the hardest thing and what we have to do is humility, to uh, know that we are not enough, that God is, and uh, it's cool, but it's also scary at the same time. One of the biggest reminders that I've uh, been shown in life that God gives us humility is wives, right? Any guy in here that's married, I dare you to say, I'm the greatest man in this room. So your wife does. Okay, I just heard my wife's eyes roll. But another part, like the mic thing with Leonard, we tested this. It is his arm. It's no joke, his arm. And I told Mandy that, and she's like, well, just cut it off. So, so but yeah, so we're working on that. So sorry for the disruption with his microphone, but it's his arm. He's got metal in his arm. Stand up.
Lord Jesus, the peace we feel in the moment when we know that you have worked in our lives, knowing that you have worked in our lives, that you've made the adjustment, that you've been the ones who's been adjusting the dials. There's a peace in that so that we can say my greatest joy is that I do not belong to myself, but I was bought with a price. I am gladly comes from. I am not my own. That is my peace. May it be ours. That's what your word says. May this peace that surpasses understanding do its work. And all the things that have been convicted on us today, angers and um, triggeredness and all the things that uh, we feel justified in. Let us know that we are only justified by you and we were justified by that. And it's for your wonderful and holy name. We want to grow in these things and I ask that for all of these. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you soon.